Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 123. As always, I've got to thank Tea Leaf Tea, Le Petit Chocolat, and Yeasty Boys. And uh, this week I had a conversation with a woman called Ali Harper. She is a an actor and a, and a musician, a singer. She's a performer. Uh, she's, she's more than a performer. She's a producer. She's uh, involved in the admin. She is sometimes a publicist and a promoter. Um, she is a tour manager. She dri- drives the vehicle if she has to. We, we talked about all this stuff. She, she does whatever it takes to get the show on. And she's been working in TV and theatre for quarter of a century. She was one of the live singers on Dancing with the Stars at one point. She has done straight acting, she's done straight singing, she's released CDs, but uh, she's also done a bunch of sort of musical shows and she has one at the moment uh, called Songs for Nobodies. It's about to start in Wellington uh, at Circa Theatre. I'll have uh, uh, notes, uh, links to, to, to that in the notes and to her website. Uh, she's touring this around the country and she's taking it overseas. In it she plays uh, I think about 10 or 12 different characters. Uh, she plays five nobodies, uh, people that have dreams of performing or, or just ordinary dreams and then uh, and they all have like a, a, a famous singer that they love that they have an encounter with so she then performs the famous singers so she inhabits the voices and roles of people like Billie Holiday and Edith Piaf and uh, Patsy Cline. I had a wonderful chat with Ali. I'd only met her one other time, briefly at the start of this year, and I said to her, oh, you know, I'm a fan of your work and I'd like to have a chat with you sometime. And she sort of said, hold the phone, I'm up in Auckland, uh, up in Wellington in a few months' time, we'll, we'll chat then. So we ripped through her, her professional career and a big plug for the show, and uh, it, was, it was wonderful to hear uh, her, her passion and her enthusiasm her, her shine, it all comes through, and um, and it was it was a great thrill to talk to her, and I hope you enjoy hearing this. This is me talking with uh, actor and uh, singer performer Ellie Harper. I guess where you grew up and when you got, um, well, what were you into as a kid? Were you a performer? Were you bit by the bug straight away, or yeah, yeah? So we're starting now, eh? Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Um, well, as a kid, yes, I remember telling my headmaster when I was about probably 10 that I wanted to be a singer when I grew up. Right. <laughs> I wanted to be a, I think it was a singer. I don't yeah. think I would have said performer or actor. It was mainly a singer mm. because I was in a school choir. I would put on little concerts for my family. And in those days, of course, we had the big, good old record player. Mm. So I would put the record on and I put these big, kick-ass headphones on and pretend I was Barbara Streisand <laughs> and I was her and then I just mimic and I get the broomstick as my microphone or the vacuum cleaner pole and you know and I just really mm. just loved it it just fed my soul and then as I sort of went through school the choirs again were wonderful and being a soloist and traveling a bit with the school choir and then I got into a production and I thought oh I like the acting thing too um, but so it just sort of grew and yeah. actually I got into a bad group at school where I was just like kind of getting a bit wayward. I, I grew up in Christchurch and my mother said, right, I'm getting you along to audition for Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator yeah. and for Elmwood Players in Christchurch. So I was like, no, oh, I don't want to go, oh, you know, in that 14 year old state. <laughs> and off I went and I got the role of just a chorus girl and I made two wonderful friends, Dana and Louise who really just made me turn a corner. Instead of going down that kind of naughty path, yeah, yeah. I went into this beautiful space where I had these two girls who were a year older than me and who were really into the singing and the acting. And, and Louise in particular went on to be a professional actor. But we just got on really well and we ended up busking a lot yeah. in Cashel Mall and along there in Christchurch. And so we had this beautiful quartet where we would make lots of money yeah, with yeah. our little you know, yeah. briefcase out there and outside Ballantines. And so that was kind of just a really good path for me um, to think, oh, I would like to do this. But my mother was very sensible. And when I left school, she said, well, look, that's a job of rejection. You're never going to get work out in that industry. Um, So many people want to do it. You're going to go and do something sensible. So at 18, when I left school, I went and did a secretarial and business course at Polytech, <laughs> which, you know, I did. And then I got an office job 
And then I saw that there were the auditions for the New Zealand tour of Chess, mm. which the Stetson's Productions did, you yep. know, the yeah, McPherson, yeah. yep. who have toured a lot over the years. And so, so I auditioned. And it was going to be an amazing tour with Murray Head, who, you know, is that guy that sang One Name mm, in Bangkok, mm. and, and Tommy Shawberg, who was in the West End production. And I waited, <clears throat> and I waited, and I continued doing my office job, which I really hated. Mm. And I got in. And I got in the chorus. And it ended up that that chorus was made up of amazing people. Um, we have uh, Stephen Robertson, who's gone on to do incredible mm. show, you know, directing. Um, gosh, Carmel. Now, she changed her surname because she was an opera singer, mm. but she needed the, the money, the work. Mm. So she changed her name to Peggy Delaney, <laughs> which was her mother's maiden name. Mm. And um, she ended up being in the chorus. Um, oh, the guy that hired me for Dancing with the Stars later on, he was in the chorus. Uh, Tim Beveridge was in the chorus. Mm. Just mm. really awesome people who went on to have careers. And I loved that. And that was a real turning point for me as well. And then I worked at the good old Fortune Theatre. Mm. And I did a couple of plays there. And then my mother said, well, it all comes down back to my mother, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> They're yeah, quite an yeah. impact on our life, yeah. whether we like it or not. <laughs> and she said to me, well, all right, if you're really serious about this, um, I've just seen an article in the press about Toy Fakari, the New Zealand Drama School. Go and audition for that then. So I did. And Geraldine Brophy and Alric Hooper, um, well, Geraldine helped me with the audition mm. to get my audition pieces up to scratch. And then on the panel was Robin Payne and Annie Ruth from Drama School with Alric Hooper, who was running the court theatre. Mm. And, um, and I auditioned, and then I got recalled to go up to Wellington. And you've got to remember, I was a very middle-class, blonde, freckle-faced young girl, young woman, of 22, who'd really just pretty much stayed in Christchurch with a very clean upbringing. And I went to Wellington for this weekend <laughs> audition workshop. And there was all types of people there. Mm. And we had to be, we had to kind of um, express ourselves and do improvisation work and really put ourselves out there. But I actually really relished it. I really enjoyed myself. Mm. And I didn't feel intimidated. I sort of have always had, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. That's always been my philosophy. And um, I didn't know really the mana of this place. I didn't know how important this institution is mm. to have a career. Because really back then in 1993, 94, you know, Toy Fakari was really the main school. That was it, yeah, yeah. When you what, look at the yeah. people that have gone through yeah, there yeah. prior to that, Robin Malcolm and mm. all those amazing actors who had gone on to have great careers, they went to New Zealand Drama School. Mm. So anyway, I did the weekend work, um, workshop, masterclass, um, I suppose, audition weekend. And then I waited and I got accepted. Mm. And that was huge because 18 people get accepted and there are a lot of people that audition. And I remember Annie Ruth saying to me later, she said, what, they knew that um, I was, you know, I had had my background, but what she liked about my audition was that I wasn't afraid to be vulnerable. I really pushed myself to the max mm. in the improvisation work. It wasn't so much my um, audition pieces that I got on very rehearsed, the Shakespearean piece and the other more contemporary piece, but it was the fact that I'd put myself out there and really just just released yeah. and they saw real potential in that and I thought that was interesting. So yes, I went to New Zealand Drama School and um, yeah, from then on. <laughs> and then your um, this, this secretarial and business course and, and, and early day jobs ended up I take it being quite a handy thing oh, for you. Very, <laughs> very smart. Yes, absolutely. Because you are, you are, or have been at various times. Oh my gosh! Your own, your own oh. manager, your own office manager, yes. your uh, own, own publicist and promoter, your you, producer. You have no idea, Simon. My <laughs> the balls I juggle in a day mm. and in my sleep is mm. quite incredible. Mm. And so yes, no, I have no regrets about yeah, doing yeah. that shorthand. Yeah. Or. <laughs> I mean, back then, I'm just trying to think, what were the computers like? I mean, they were very basic, but 
yes, I'm not afraid of administration mm. work. In mm. fact, I really quite enjoy it. And there are times where I go, I would like to just be a producer. And I would like to people mm. wrangle and mm. I would like to take on that side of things. And there's some days I would like to just be a publicist. And there's some days that I would like to be a director or I would like to be well, a... Well, oh. not to put too fine a point on it, but you have that ahead of you mm, should, you, should yeah. you and when you decide mm -hmm. that for whatever reason you mm -hmm. either don't want to or maybe aren't mm -hmm. able to perform, right? Absolutely, so absolutely. You and, yeah. you've, and you've honed those skills and yeah. are continuing to. And I appreciate when I have someone, um, you know, if I'm working within a production company um, who already have those people in place, mm. I really appreciate those people like here at Circa. Mm. I knock on the door, I talk to the marketing people, I say, now, have you got time to do this? Because I understand how time is precious, how mm. everyone's, you know, stretched with our workload, but because I've done this from the privacy of my own office at home, yeah, yeah. I empathise, I get it, whereas a lot of performers, actors, you know, they can it's just... It's a different world. They they, don't, they yeah. don't, they're not in on it. And they, they expect it to be done yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Or why isn't this done? Or a director. Mm. Why, isn't that, why wasn't that done yesterday? So I actually like having all these skills. Mm. But there are times, especially recently, and even this week, uh, <laughs> where um, I have needed a bigger team. Um, and what happens is, yeah, sure, when you run a, a production company, you become a control freak because you think, well... I know my business the mm, best. Mm. I know what to look for. I know to, um, you know, to really dot the I's and cross the T's and everything else. And my husband as well, he's my go-to person. I say, babe, can you proofread the program? Babe, can you just proofread this post before it goes off mm. to, you know, Hawke's Bay Festival? So he's my go-to, but he's busy because we have a family. Mm. We've got kids. Mm, so mm. they're down in Christchurch and he's got a day job. Um, because we still, as much as we would love him to be full-time in Alicat Productions, we still have the day-to-day -day bills, and that's the mm. point where we're going, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't mm. we love that? And also for him to come on tour with me, because I recently did the first leg of Songs for Nobody's Tour, and my operator, he's got an eye condition where he can't drive, I know, lighting operator having an eye condition, he's actually really good at his job, <laughs> so don't be yeah, alarmed. Yeah. I had to drive yeah. with the Jeep, with the trailer attached, mm. From Timaru to Invercargill, pack in that night at the theatre. Luckily, we didn't have to perform the next day. But then the day after that, I had to do mm. two show shows the next day. Then I drive to Wanaka in torrential rain and horrendous weather. Mm. Then from there, I'm driving to Twizel. So I wonder why I came back quite exhausted. Mm. You know, mm. And then I'm also doing the publicity machine where I'm t doing interviews and radio and stuff. Mm. Oh, boy. It gets to the point where, yeah, I can get... And as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, gosh, can I actually, my body cope with all this stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This adrenaline. So as I say, at some, at some point, you'll be able to step back from the performing yeah. side of it and yeah. move into the managing and producing side full time. I think so. I think so. Although, I do. I say to my husband, oh, babe, I think, I think <laughs> I'm ready. I think I'm ready to move on and into yeah. the new one. One last show. I think I'll do that. <laughs> but then, honestly, yeah. we did a round of the show last night. And this <laughs> show in particular, it's just such a mm. deliciously womanly, fabulous, well written. Mm. I adore it. And so, you, there's the payoff is when you actually are up there on stage. But I've got to make sure I've got enough energy in me mm. to be able to manage a four-week season. Well, where does that energy come from? Because I've, I've only met you one other time earlier this year, and we we met sort of by chance here at Circa. And I said to you, I'd love, to, I want to have a chat to you one day. And then you said, Well, hold the phone. I'm back in a few months for the show. So here we are. Now I got some sense of from knowing a bit of your work and meeting you. I got some sense of there's an energy that drives you anyway. But is it just necessity as well? that, you know, there are these roles that have to be, like what you just described in terms of, well, I've got to be the driver for this leg of the tour and I've got to help pack in and stuff. Is it just scales of economy and yeah. um, it needs to be done and you want it done to a, to a level so you just have to mark in? Yeah, I really, really do. It does come down to money, absolutely. Mm, yeah. You know, um, there's a risk especially mm. coming to a theatre like Circa Theatre, the, the proceeds, there's, it's a split share, yeah. and it comes to me, and there are expenses to be paid for, especially when you have a three-piece band. Mm. We've got to get a, get a lot of gear in for mm. that band. The band, I don't want to 
I don't want them to be part of a co-op. I don't want them to take the risk. I want to pay them decent money yeah. so they feel valued. Mm. And so, yes, there was a big budget. So, yes, that puts a lot on my shoulders. So, yes, I could have got my Tiahi opera, Tiahi Butler, my fantastic lighting and sound mm. operator. I could have got him support. I've tried to get him support for rigging the lights, but he also wants to look after me. So we're working together and mucking in together. Um, oh, I've got an amazing Jennifer Lull coming in this afternoon to rig the projector for me. Mm. So, you know, it's calling on favours mm. from people mm. um, as well. You know, and when you've been in the industry as long as I have, mm. you do have mates out there. That's why it's yeah. really important yeah. that you are good to work with. You're a decent person. Mm. And so you don't burn bridges because you're going to need those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we do in New Zealand. We all muck in together. Yeah. That's beautiful. My director's just flown in today from the court theatre mm. to be there for me for today you know he's mm. great so yes when I saw this opportunity um, years ago I did another one of Joanna Murray Smith's shows called Bombshells mm. it was so amazing and one person shows are very are very economical it's me eventually when you start touring you just have an operator mm. it's the two of you as an actor, you're not too proud to get in there and put your sneakers on and your track pants at the end of the night mm. and pack up that set and lug it down all the stairs, according to the theatre, what where you're at, and put it in the trailer and then off you go to your motel. I do it all. Mm. I was painting some of the set here at Circa. You know, this is what you do, and mm. I, I love that as well. Mm. Yes, it would be really nice to swan on in and go, <laughs> huh, which is what you do at the court, because they have an amazing team down there. They have yeah, such yeah. a huge... Honestly, you say, oh, there's just this bit here. I just might need spiked because I might trip on the step. You turn around to do something, you look back, the spike is there. <laughs> it's done. It's yeah. done. And that is where you just really appreciate that but, when you work. But this, yeah. this, this sort of... Um, ethos that you're describing is it fits with I guess some of the characters that you're playing in this show and I guess in some of the previous ones these these uh, strong women that uh, mm. you know had to do what it took to to perform they had to yeah. you know and they had to take their chance and their mm. chance meant waiting in the wings forever or it meant you know working in the concession booth or yes. you know being the understudy or you know having the horrible day job or what you know mm. all of those different mm. aspects mm. Are, are, are related to the yeah, the characters that you Oh, totally. The second woman I play is Pearl Avalon, and she's working in a, a big, beautiful theatre, and um, Patsy Klein comes, and she loves Patsy Klein. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, she find, she's an usher there, and, and so she finds out that there's a couple of light bulbs missing in dressing room number two. We're supposed to have the the cowboy culpers in it and she knocks on the door yo decent and she hears a yell which she took to be an affirmative and she opens the door and there's Patsy Clyde wearing a white chiffon dress looking right at me and so you can feel that mm. that manner she's placed mm. she's idolized Patsy Clyde and there's Patsy Clyde looking right at me and so for me, you know, as I talked mm. about Barbara Streisand mm. when I was a young girl, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is for me someone who's worked up mm. through the ranks in order to get to standing center stage on Circa One. Mm. Now, here am I in my 40s. If you told me at 90 or 22 years old when I was going to New Zealand drama school mm. that I'd be producing a one-person show on Circa One, I'd be going, oh, my gosh, really? And, you know, and of course, just as a little sidetrack, I say to people who go, oh my gosh, Ali, you know, well, I'd love to be doing what you do and all that. I say, look, at the end of the day, you can't wait for that phone to ring. You've got to be an entrepreneur. You've got mm. to make your own work. Mm. You really, really do. So, yes, these women I play, the five nobodies, all are very everyday people. Mm. And those somebodies, oh, yes, they've had hard lives. Mm. And I think that is why they have stayed in our hearts for all these years. Edith Piaf, when you listen to her going, no, ria, ria, she's not going, I better make this sound beautiful. I better um, get that note right. I better stay in pitch. Mm. She's going, you know what? I have friggin' no <laughs> regrets. Yeah. 
and I'm going to stand here warts and all and I don't care if I look ugly or if my dress isn't like, she just goes, no, you know, and I love that rawness, mm. I just, and I love that honesty and that's why it's nice, you know, sitting here and not being guarded with my words, just telling you as it is. Mm. It's very liberating to get to your 40s and go, you know what? I do what I do, I do it to the best of my abilities, mm. and that's the that's what I want to do, and mm. I want to surround myself with great people, and I want to tell great stories. And the thing with this um, Songs for Nobodies is people actually do leave going, oh my goodness, they look at their own life, and you know, we, we, we think in our life we need to reach a certain point in order to be happy. We need to have this in our life, that person in our life, or whatever, in order to really feel fulfilled. And the very first person I, I um, the character, is just hits the nail on the head. And this was, for me was really great. Um, pretty much everyone has it wrong about happiness. Everyone's always talking about happiness like it's something complete or whole or distinct. Like you'd notice if it happened to come by, but it, it's not like that. Happiness is ordinary misery without extraordinary fear. Or in a nutshell, happiness is a temporary illusion that nothing is about to change for the worse. That's happiness. And while you think you have it, all you can think is, this ain't happiness. And then the moment it's over, you think, that was it. That was happiness. You know, just those words mm. that it's just like you go. And so after that, I'd come home from my rehearsals and I'd open my front door and I'd walk and I'd go, I really want to savor this moment. This is my home. Mm. There's my little boy's shoes down there at the front door. I can hear their chitter chatter in the other room. I hope I'm appreciating this moment right now because this actually is happiness. Mm. Mm. And I just think we don't often appreciate those little ordinary things in our lives. Mm. You know, so I just try to find that balance where I'm really appreciating this moment right now at Circa. Sure, there's a few things that, oh, I've got to troubleshoot, and, mm. but that's okay. And then I've also got to pick up the phone and talk to my husband, hear my little boy's voice and go, hello, darling. And it's just finding that balance, isn't it? Yeah, appreciating yeah. where we're at now and get, not getting caught up in the bullshit. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, tied to that, I was going to ask you, how, and, and, and you've already given us a taste of this, of this show, and we'll talk a little bit more about exactly what it is and how and how it plays out a little bit without giving obviously too much away but you, you play a bunch of characters how do you unpack from that at the end of the night and just put it all away and turn I mean part of it I guess is that you have to help pack up and stuff as you were saying maybe that's yeah. quite a good process for snapping out of oh yeah a character oh look at the end of the day I am Yes, it's funny because I feel like I'm quite an ordinary person. I'm not I'm not sort of an eccentric actor. You know, you get wonderful, mm. fabulous eccentric actors who are like, mm. oh, you know, and always on. I'm actually <laughs> yeah, I'm actually a very ordinary person. Mm -hmm. I actually really like ordinary life. Mm -hmm. So I think that helps that I'm actually a very um, down to earth kind of grounded person. Yeah. And I don't have vices like I, I'm not into drugs or alcohol or cigarettes to help me calm down. Um, I do a lot of yoga. I'm really discovering and unpacking a bit of meditation. I'm just trying to get that really focused and centered way of just breathing. Um, I like my sleep. I'm not a very, I have to have things very organized. I take mm. a lot of vitamins and a lot of kind of naturopathic things because, as you can tell, I, there's a lot of adrenaline and a lot mm. of busyness mm. in my life. Mm. So I have tools in place that I'm calling on a lot more. Um, and I think children also make you feel very grounded. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When I was doing this production, I was very first time at the court theatre. I did a four-week season. I would have to get up the next day and make school lunches. Mm. And I would have to get up and say goodbye to them at the front gate or actually walk them up to school. And then I'd come back and go to a yoga class and get on. And I'd try and have an afternoon nap. I'm very big on trying to have power naps because that can get me through especially for the vocal cords mm, mm. you know they can get tired especially because the you know in this show I'm singing from Judy Garland right through to Maria Callas which is very operatic so mm. I have to be very disciplined with these vocal cords so a lot of rest um, so I think I just I, yeah the fatigue does come in but as I said all those things mm. help me mm. Mm. Help me, help me last. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the the details of 
of the show because it's a pretty good it seems a pretty perfect pairing of um, you as a performer with um, obviously with the subject and also you have a connection with the writer mm. do you want to should we start there do you want to talk about that yes well I mentioned earlier that yeah. I did this one woman show called Bombshells and when I did it at the court I thought oh man this is a perfect vehicle to go and take it on mm. as Alicat Productions and um, because I'd done another one woman show called Tell Me on a Sunday and uh, I did it at the court uh, 2 which is now the Forge and Circuit 2 and um, so I had some experience about you know producing a one person mm. show um, so what I did is I said to the court theatre, hey, I'd like to take this on, because they'd stopped, they'd stopped, oh no, that we did a little bit of a leg of the South Island tour when the court was still touring. And then I said to them, well, I'd like to actually take this to the North Island, and I'd like to take it to Circa. And they said, okay, well, that could work for us, because... If you have the Circa production, uh, Circa Theatre logo to say it's a court, uh, a, sorry, a court theatre production. If you say that's um, on your all your marketing material, mm. it'll look like the court's touring you, which is great for us, and, um, and we'll just gift you the set. So it didn't cost me anything to take on this production. Mm. So I got all the set, beautiful six mannequins and um, all the drapes and everything. And I got, um, oh gosh, it's <laughs> funny, it's so not, not glamorous. This is when we didn't have our own Alley Cat Productions trailer. We borrowed someone's horse float. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we took it on the road and we toured it. And I did that over four years. I'd come home, have a time at home, then I'd go off and do more mm. venues around New Zealand. Uh, as I said, I did Circa Theatre, and it was a great, great piece um, to do. And so, you know, that was really a big taste of a New Zealand tour. We learned, mm. learned great things. We did 24 venues in one leg, and it was really hard yakka. And we didn't budget enough. So what I've learned with touring is that you really need a budget according to each town. By the time we got to Invercargill and Gore, which was the last part places on our, we'd run out of money. Mm. We didn't didn't have the money to advertise in newspapers or do radio ads or anything, and we really learned. I think um, my operator got more than what I did. Mm, mm. You know, so I'm very, very honest about that. We've learned a lot of lessons mm. as far as producing goes. But I think, like anything, it's good to have some hard knocks because mm. you learn. Mm. You know, that's the thing. The mistakes you make never re have regrets <laughs> because there's great things to learn. And so now when we look back with t this tour this year, we're going to 20 venues. Mm. Um uh, we uh, we've now got our jeep. We've now got our beautiful trailer. We've <laughs> mm. designed. We've made a set. It's different to the uh, circa. We've got an actual touring set, which um, is stripped back, but works perfectly for quick packings. Mm. If we arrive and we've we've just driven um, three hours to get to the venue, we can pack in, be back at our motel to recharge, come back and do the show at seven thirty. Pack out that night. And the next morning we're up early on the next. You know, so that works well. We've also. Well, we've got smart, when I say we, <laughs> me, <laughs> um, got smart in that I've now got festivals that have purchased the show. Yeah, yeah. I've made friends with venues like the wonderful Fourth Wall Theatre. I'm going back there in New Plymouth. Um, this will be my fifth show taking it there because I also do cabaret shows. Yeah. They're fabulous. Raywin and Brett, they've purchased the show. Tauranga have purchased the show. Baycourt. Um, I'm going to Dunedin Arts Festival, Nelson Arts Festival, Hawke's Bay Arts Festival. I've just done Southland Arts Festival. So they're all buying the show, so that means I just turn up. Mm. We get a fee, the publicity's all done. Mm. So, but And then the rest of them are little risks. Yeah. Kiri Kiri, Whangarei, Wanganui, um, Kapiti Coast, they're all risks. Mm. But it means we've got the money to be able to spread to those in between all the purchased, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how we're really working it now, and that's yeah. great. And then once again, we're returning to New York because yeah. I took it to, um, as I said, Fourth Wall Theatre. Raywin mentioned to me, Ali, you should go to um, United Solo Festival in New York on 42nd Street. And I went, oh, what's this about? So I researched it. I applied. They accepted me. Off I went to New York. Um, it's just a small theatre, 65 people. Um, it lasts three months amazing shows from all over the world go it's the largest one person festival in the world 
I went along and did my show. I hired a, um, a New York um, operator. That was an interesting exercise. Um, he said to me, Ali, I've never operated lights before. I've only ever done, oh no, he said, no, I've only ever operated sound cues. I've never operated lights. And I was like, oh my goodness, alarm bells, alarm bells. Anyway, I got there through that show. Came back to New Zealand and thought, okay, well, that was nice. Um, I could have got more people there. Um, I had about 37 people there, and I thought, okay, you know, it is what it is. The person before me was an Irish woman, and she was doing a show. She had seven people. And, um, but anyway, I remember we were, I was going on a bike ride with my little boys, and I opened the letterbox, and there was this um, A4 envelope there, and it was from the United Solar Festival, and it had my invoice, well no, my expenses, uh, uh, more more my intake of money that had come in. I thought, oh, okay, well that didn't, you know, that won't get us on a trip to Tahiti. <laughs> anyway, and inside there was this certificate, and it was said, Best Actress, Ali Harper for Bombshells. And I'm going, what? I showed my husband, who's on the bike with the helmets, and what a helmets on, I said, oh, look at this. And he goes, oh. I said, oh. They probably just give it to like 12 actresses and 12 actors and 12 best directors to encourage them to come back to the festival. Anyway, that night I came back from my husband's work do and he was still out partying and I came home and I, I just had a look at the certificate again and I thought, oh, just have a wee look. And I looked up United Solo Festival and I looked at the awards and there's Billy Crystal, best overall production and there's best actress Ali Harper, best actor. And I went... What? What? <laughs> Out of 120 productions? What? <laughs> so that was amazing. Yeah. And I mean, look, in New Zealand, that, that is worth its weight in gold. Mm. You know, to mm. say that, oh my gosh, in mm. a world festival, there's, mm. there's a little old me. Mm. And so this year, I, um, I, they asked me to come back as an encore performer because of being an award winner. Mm. So yes, I'm going back to New York with songs for nobodies and this time I'm going to take my operator and we're nearly sold out so wow. that's great but to cut a long story short you asked mm. me about my relationship with Joanna Murray Smith yeah. well so I had that history of bombshells because she's she's uh, a well known oh, yeah. well established Australian oh. writer playwright primarily oh. um, but she's got a major catalogue of stuff oh yeah she's not, and she doesn't oh. just write plays that have a musical component she writes no. Across the spectrum. Yeah, she yeah, does. Yeah. A, bit, a lot of big plays yeah. that have been performed all over the world. Yeah. On the West End. Yeah. On Broadway. And that's when mm. I met you. We mm. saw her speak we here um, yes. before Kostyrka had one of her, her plays earlier in the year, yeah. Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. Switzerland. Yeah. So, because I hadn't ever met her, and with Bombshells, I had to go directly through her mm. to ask her if I could have the rights yeah. for the New Zealand tour and to take it to New York. Because she does have an agent who's over in London, I think. And she said, look, Ali, just for New Zealand rights, come through me. So that was good. So we have this relationship via email. So when I heard she was coming up for Switzerland, coming mm. to the opening night, I thought, I've got to come up and I've got to meet her. And she was excited and really mm. thankful that I made the effort to come mm. up. Mm. And I took her for lunch. Well, we got on like a house on fire. She's an awesome person. Mm. She's straight up very inquisitive about who I was and really awesome. And... And the lovely thing about Songs for Nobodies is because I'd had the history with Bombshells and it had done really well and, you know, got great reviews and great, yeah, great mm. press for it and great feedback. Um, apparently Auckland Theatre Company, apparently Fortune and apparently someone else in New Zealand had approached her to get the rights for Songs for Nobodies. She kept on turning them down. And then Ross Gumbley, the artistic director of the Court Theatre, mm. approached Joanna and said, hey, I'd really like the rights for Songs for Nobodies. And because it had just toured all throughout Australia. Mm. And Joanna said to Ross, all right, I'll give you the rights if Ali Harper does it. So that was awesome. Yeah. So we got the rights. And then once we did the court theatre season, I said to Ross, I think I'd already decided in my head that I was wanting to tour this mm. around New Zealand. And so I approached Joanna and I said, Joanna, I'd like to do what I did with Bombshells and tour it through. The country, she said, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And yeah, New York It doesn't well. surprise me that you guys hit it off because she had an energy about her at that Q&A that I, I could see being um, complimentary to you, yours and some similar approach and that I was amazed how 
invested she was in her in, in every aspect of her yeah. work we have this idea I think of writers particularly as you know the romantic notion is that they dash off the work and then everyone else deals with it and that once it's out in the public it's owned by the public but she goes around the world um, authorising, watching mm. you know um, handling various versions of various productions of hers she's yeah. not directly involved in every single one but only I think because you can't humanly do it I think if you yeah, could she would have found a way was yeah. my impression yeah she wanted to come and see this production <laughs> yeah. circuit but she said oh Ali I'm so sorry I have to be in London for another <laughs> opening and we're doing the whole casting mm. thing and thing. so yeah I, I, I would just love her to come and see me because I was a bit cheeky and I said to her Joanna would you write me a one woman show <laughs> mm. a one woman play and she said she really needs to see me before mm, she mm. needs to see what I bring to the to the stage, and she was very honest, wasn't she, about how Bernadette Robinson yeah. um, got the show? And I loved hearing that story. You heard mm, it at mm, that mm. uh, the talk she gave. You know, um, because when I when I um, heard she had done a one woman show, and I was actually living in Sydney for a year, trying to, to trying to break in mm. to it over there in the market. And I was in my early twenties, uh, just after drama school. I went off to Sydney, and it's interesting that time I worked as an aerobics instructor. As um, in in Sydney in Winyard Station in a gym there, and I worked as an usher at the State Op um, State Theatre there mm. and the Seymour Centre, and um, and I go to auditions, but I just didn't have the confidence. Um, and I think that's what sometimes can happen to you when you leave a drama school. You can mm. feel really at odds with yourself. Where do I fit? Who am I? I really came away from that place feeling really like the rug had been whipped out from under my feet. Mm. And I went off to Sydney to try and audition. And I'd go into auditions and I'd get recalled, but I just didn't quite have enough confidence to go, yep, this is me. You would be so lucky to have me in your cast. Mm. Whereas the other people that I'd see go on, they knew yeah. how to carry themselves. But, and that's how I came back and got into the producing side. Mm. I think, I've got to make my own work here. But anyway, when I was in Sydney, I got to see Carolyn O'Connor do bombshells mm. because 80, um, Melbourne Theatre Company had commissioned Joanna Murray-Smith to write it for Carolyn O'Connor, who's a big star mm. in Australia. And I saw it and I thought, I'm not ready to do this yet. I still need to be a bit older in order to carry off this show. So I waited about four years and that's when I approached the court and said, hey, I'd like to do this one-woman show. Can I hire court too? And they came back to me and said, actually, that we'd like to produce it with you. So that's how we did that. Um, so, yes, um, so, yeah, Joanna is amazing. And the way she talked about Bernadette Robertson, who's this amazing singer over in Australia, well-known for impersonating mm. singers. And Joanna was quite upfront that she's not really an actress first, she's more of a singer. Mm. And how Bernadette Robertson was writing Joanna letters, please write me a show. Emailing her, please write me a show. Um, Joanna was going, for goodness sake, she went up to um, <laughs> Simon Phillips, amazing Kiwi, who's done really well in Australia, mm. running. He's no longer the artistic director, but at the time he was. So she said, oh, Simon, we've got to put this woman out of her misery. And he was going, yeah, I know, she's hounding me too. And, then, and he said, look, why don't you just write a one monologue and... Um, We'll get her to learn it. We'll get her to come in. We'll get her to perform it, and we'll and then we can just say, yeah, thanks very much, but no thanks. Well, they got her to do the first woman, which I imagine is B. Appleton, who mm. impersonates Judy Garland. At the end, they were crying. It was so moving, mm. and they went on to write an amazing show called mm. Songs for Nobodies. Which is, Robinson. which is an amazing story for many reasons, including for Joanna's own creative process. You know, I know. Suddenly, she's tasked with and inspired to write a show she basically didn't know she had in her. Yeah, you I know. know. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, yeah. and I love that. And the other thing, uh, when Ross said to me, right, okay, this is my idea, this is my concept for Songs for Nobody's, you can have one black chair. And I went, yeah. He said, yeah, one black chair. I went, what? I have to play ten characters <laughs> plus a couple of men. <laughs> you know, there's the boss from the New York Times, and I play him, and then there's the arts editor, and all those guys. And so, you know, there's about thirteen characters I have to play, and I have one black chair, Ross. You've got to be kidding me. The woman, when I've seen footage, then I've seen a few little show reels of Bernadette Robertson's mm. Australian production. She had staircase. She had a bar for the Billie Holiday <laughs> concept. She had teacups. When I played the librarian, she had a gin bottle. What? I have one black chair? He said, yeah, we'll make it work. It's all about craft. It's all about the storytelling. It's all about this beautiful writing. And you know what? 
I love mm. having one black chair. Mm. It is, and that's what I say to people. I say to the young students at drama schools and things, come and watch it because the way I've been directed and the way I'm playing these women, it is purely about good old-fashioned craft. There are no bells and whistles. There are no big... You know how it's so technically... I mean, I went to see Medi Medi. What a show. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. The way he had all those beautiful... What do you call it? You know, the AV and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is glorious. A lot of theatre is escaping into that world now. The Adam Room playing now. I mean, that is an amazing tech world. Mm. But for a touring company, I don't want all that cost. Mm, mm. So this is why it's perfect. Mm. If I want to do it in someone's living room with one black chair, I can. Mm. Although we do have a rake stage <laughs> and we do have some beautiful canvas drops. And as I said, for Circa, we've got the most amazing band. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I'm noticing in particular, this particular band, they've got real jazz chops. Daniel Hales, who plays a lot for Holly Smith, he's a really well-known um, jazz musician. He is the pianist for Roger Fox Band. Mm, mm. Um, then I've got Johnny Lawrence, awesome double bass player. Mm. Yeah, Daniel play, uh, Hales plays piano. Uh, Johnny Lawrence is double bass player. And then Lance Phillip, who I've known for years. Yeah, yeah. He and I did some you know, um, Dancing with the Stars when yeah. I was the resident singer there. Yeah. He's amazing on percussion and drums. So... Oh my goodness, it's really mm. bringing out in mm. one. I'm excited, mm. especially for some of that. You know, we've got the country aspect with Patsy Klein, we've got the Edith Piaf, we've got the Judy Garland, Maria Callas, but we've got, you know, Billie Holiday. I think mm. I've seen three of her numbers, mm. you know, and it's raw and it's hard hitting, and mm. I can just hear them just, and they're loving it. Yeah, I bet. They're loving it. Well, what was your process of of research with the, are those singers you just named? Do you go in deep to, I mean, I imagine you're obviously, for a start, familiar with all of them before this show happens anyway, on, on whatever level, but do you go in deep into researching oh, yeah. their music and their lives, or is it all in the words? Oh, no, 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 I do a lot of research, yeah. yeah. So um, it's not just in the characters that Joanne has written, that's... That's obviously part of it. But. Well, the, yeah, because the nobodies are fictional. Yeah. And then there's little elements of, oh, yes, I mean, like on the Onassis ship, I was always fascinated by Onassis and mm. the whole Jackie Kennedy and the Maria Callas relationship before. Mm. I've always been interested in history, um, but actually he's got this fictional char character, an Irish girl, and she's a nanny on the Onassis ship, and she's witnessing Maria Callas and Onassis having this love affair in front of Tina. Tina, you know, Anasa's wife, <laughs> and Winston Churchill's yeah. on it with Lady Clementine and Gianni Agnale of Fiat Fame and all these people, and that actually happened. Mm. That's how Maria Callas and Anasa's met and had this full-blown love affair with her husband on it, with his wife on it, you know? Mm. It's quite incredible. So she's taken this little bit of history and made it what it is in the mm. show. And, yes, Judy Garland I'm very familiar of with because I've I wrote I've written a show called Legendary yes. Divas. Yeah. And so that included Judy Garland and Edith Piaf. Yeah. So I've done a lot of research on those women. And also I've over the years sung a lot of Judy Garland. And of course that's a really interesting life. Mm -hmm. Um Patsy Klein I didn't know a lot about. Right. Um I didn't watch the movies as such. I didn't want to see another actor play Patsy yeah, Klein. Yeah. So um and then then there's Billie Holiday, and of course we all know Billie Holiday's music. I didn't know a lot about her life. I knew it would have been a really hard life. <laughs> Very sad life. So I yeah. read about that, you know, mm. being 10-year-old and raped, mm. living in Harlem, the drugs, the booze, the fact that, you know, and the lynching. I mean, all that history. And Ross did say to me, because Billie was the most one I was going to be intimidated with when mm -hmm. I went into rehearsals. I thought, come on, man, I'm a blonde woman. I'm a, I've got freckles. I mean, what gives me the <laughs> right to sing Strange Fruit? I mean, mm. you know, I mean, that is just real tough. How am I going to pull that off? And also that vocal sound. I just read and read about the tragedy of that time. Not only about Billie Holiday, but about around mm. that mm. time. Mm. And I took on that heartache, and I just hear it, and I feel it, and just as a person with empathy, and that is the one that people come away and go, oh my gosh, you're Billy Holiday. That was, you know, mm. and that for me is, I really channel her. I feel it. It's really moving, powerful stuff. I love her. Mm. That was quite a surprise for me. And that's one thing Ross gave me that freedom to rather than be freaked out by these women, he said, look, Bernadette Robinson in Australia, she's known for impersonating. 
You're not impersonating these women. You're you're giving them their flavour. Mm. And so there we go. Mm. I I've researched enough that I know about these women, who they are. There is YouTube footage of them live. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. have looked at them absolutely. And but then I leave it alone and then I just trust the show and then it just comes pouring out. And that's the best I can do. Mm, mm. Um, this is already sounding like it's a career highlight for you. Yeah. And you're still, you know, so deeply involved in it. What are and you've mentioned some others, but what are some other career highlights for you or key points along this, you know, along the journey? Anything that we haven't touched on so far? Because I mean, I think of something like, uh, you know, being a resident singer on Dancing with the Stars. That's a great way to to have and keep and learn chops, right? You already oh, yeah. you already have you already have them that get you the gig. I understand yeah. that, but but then you're very much in the moment, and yet the moment is not about you. Oh, I know. It's yeah. interesting. All you yeah. know is completely support. Yeah. You're supporting those people out there who are being vulnerable on stage. Absolutely. On that thing. No, that was great. And Carl Doyle, I mean, he was great mm. to work with. And that band were incredible. Mm. Not many times you get to sing with a great band like that. And I had some uh, great singers on either side of me. I had Bella Kololo. Yeah. And I had Grant Sullivan. So between us, we'd look at the, those 12 songs that we had to do when we'd, you know, been sort of delegated out. Okay, the R&B sound, Bella, you get that. Okay, Ali, you get this. But we were still challenged in ways the vocal cords had to work mm, in areas mm. that we hadn't worked before because mm. it's such a variety of music to sing. Mm. So yes, I love that being stretched and, and the harmony work. So you're going back to harmony work because mm. often when you do sound, stand centre stage as a leading lady yeah. um, you don't often have to do many, much harmony work so that's really great to come back to those good old choir days yeah, when yeah, I was at yeah, school yeah, yeah. and I think that's really important again mm. it's about supporting and I think you've got to mix up your career where you're not always standing centre stage mm. you've got to also be a support person because mm. again you appreciate both sides just like I appreciate the office side mm. it's really important to do that so yes that's been a real career highlight and seeing how live TV works mm. I mean wow mm. we Oh, the responsibility there and actually Deborah Callagher she's coming on opening night um, she was the producer yeah, yeah, yeah. and she, that's awesome so she's yeah. still you know we've got that friendship and even mm. though she was a top dog I was mm. hired just as BV singer yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's amazing <laughs> that's a great example of a producer yeah. that doesn't see herself in a hierarchical mm. position I mean mm. that's great and then Blood Brothers for me is a show that I would love to do again. Mm. I love Mrs. Johnston. And at that time I had little boys who were like three and four. And they were my poster boys. Mm. And the thought of separating those two boys who were so close. to sleep, They sleep in the one bed together. Mm. And my eight-year-old will often hold my little boy's hand at night when Archie goes to sleep first. Mm. I mean, to see that love and that bond. And in Blood Brothers, of course, there's little twins. Mm. So I was howling like an absolute... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> howling thing during so I put my heart and soul in that and that was an amazing production we put on at the court I would love to tour that and for a producer I would love to do that mm. but I've got to get the money behind me mm. that's where I you know it's very hard to find sponsorship mm. I give up now I think oh, I've just got to do it all myself yeah <laughs> yeah well it's declining markets for that stuff oh, isn't it's it tough, tough yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it's that you know what you've got is that and which i guess is why so many people involved directly in in performance just leave that stuff up to someone else because yeah. because it, it, it's its own heartbreak and anguish there's enough of yeah. that in performing and yes. then to have it when you're going cap in hand <gasps> uh yeah and the dangle the carrot gets dangled and yeah. you're so close and then it just goes and you think oh bummer that could have paid for the band and then the compromise between it too of you know the the compromise of potentially of artistic vision for you know yeah i know i know a product placement or a spot yeah, you know a sponsorship yeah. or whatever and, yeah. and and usually these are either done tactfully or just accepted you know yes, it's just know. A ne a, again necessary evil but yeah that all plays on the minds of people that's right, that's right. So I think that's where we're at the point for Alley Cat Productions, whether we start to now. I mean, we've got various people that work on our team as contractors mm. who will help get bums on seats. Mm. Um, we have a graphic designer. We have, you know, just people that we can call on, our go-to people, mm. as I said, are purely on a contract. But now I'm getting to the stage, do we need to find a, a sort of a person that does look for the sponsorship? 
you know, and mm. just out there, you know, I talked to, like, recently had a Toy for Kari reunion, and I was talking to Jacob Rajan, you know, with um, mm -hmm. India Inc., and I mean, mm. he's incredible, really successful, yeah. really is, and we were talking about the producing side of things, and I'm a baby, really, compared to him, um, but he's got a general manager, mm. I mean, imagine that, mm. And he actually said to me, I don't think he'd mind me saying this, but that general manager gets paid more than what he does. Mm. You know, and I just think, wow, that's an amazing leap of faith that you have, you hold your business and such, you really want mm. it to fly, and he's mm. got a New York agent. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's amazing, and that would be a place that I'd really love to get to. Mm. So we'll, we'll just watch this space. I'll just keep working. Mm. And every year we have a debrief, my husband and I. I mean, he'd love to be full-time. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. Because he's brilliant. I mean, he's done an IT degree. He's done a business management degree. He's got his master's in it. Mm. He was actually doing his um, doctorate at Massey University for co-entrepreneurs, couples that work together. But then we decided to move to Christchurch and have a family. So he didn't do that. And he was a full-time dad. Uh -huh. How did you how did you meet this wonderful catch? Oh yeah, he he is a wonderful <laughs> catch. Well, it's really sliding doors. Um, I was sick of meeting actors, and in this industry, it's hard <laughs> to meet people. Yeah, yeah. And I was a single mum. I've got an eighteen-year-old daughter as well as my two little boys. Mm. And at the time, my daughter was eight, and I had a little block. I lived. I um, had a great little townhouse in Newtown in Wellington, and I was home for about six months. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to make the most of this time. I'd heard people have great success, so I'm fine. Someone on track on track mm, me. Mm. I think I'm going to go on there, and if even if I meet some nice friends and go to new coffee places, or you know, just put myself out there to just mm. meet some nice people. Well, he was the second guy I met, and our paths would have never crossed. He was a football guy. He liked going to bars, <laughs> and he was an adult university student mm. who was top in his what mm. he did. Mm. And university just kept on wanting to stay. We'll give you scholarships. We'll give you scholarships because they just loved him. And he was just this lovely guy and never involved in theatre. I was just going to ask, had he been to never. the theatre before Sometimes he met you? Sometimes he said he went to see yeah. something at Griffin Theatre. Yeah, but never directly involved in no, it. Yeah, yeah. nothing, never been involved mm. with him. He was just a lad about town mm. who just loved getting out, being a social guy, had the lovely place in Mount Victoria, had a, actually a dream life. But he was getting on. He mm. was 37 then, uh, 38, and... Um, we met and we got on like a house on fire. I thought, well, if anything out of this, we're gonna. We had a dinner date at Zabibos, <laughs> and um, I thought, anything out of this, we're gonna. I've met a really nice friend, mm. and then we just, it just grew from there. And then seven months later, he proposed, and it just seemed the right thing. And um, so he is really, really passionate about Alley Cat Productions. Mm. He loves it. He's mm. really good at it. I love it when he's my touring buddy. He drives the Jeep. He drives the trailer. But now he's got a full-time job. It's flexible. Like He can still be there to pick up the boys. But it's hard for him to travel as much with me. So we're just kind of at this place where we go, mm. do we take the risk and you're full-time with Alley Cat Productions? But it's nice to have that bread and butter money coming mm, in. Mm, mm. And also it takes the pressure off me. That means in January, where I might go away on a couple of cruise ships as a guest entertainer, he can come with me, but also I can have some time off. I do a bit of vocal coaching, performance coaching, mm. which I'm kind of enjoying. Yeah. And that's another area, I need lots of lives, don't I, Simon? <laughs> where I would like it's to... sounding like you're leading mm. them. You, yeah. you're very involved in your kids' lives, obviously, as yeah. mother, but you're involved in the school and, and, and aspects of their lives. I was having dinner with a friend of mine called Sally who lives in Christchurch last night. I had not even mentioned to her that I was talking to you and your name came up. Yeah. She talked about, she showed me a video clip of one of her children singing and then she said, um, actually, Ellie Harper is responsible for him singing like this. She put so much time in with the boys at the school and I said... I'm going to chat to her tomorrow. And she was quite blown away by that. That is incredible. That brings yeah. a tear to my eye. It really, really does. Yeah. So I didn't know whether to tell you that oh, at the start or, or near the end. That is so utterly special. But isn't it, you know, yeah, and I just thought that was great. Oh. Also, what I loved about it was classic little old New Zealand yeah. organic conversation, you know, nothing to do with me mentioning that I was no. off to That's talk to you amazing. or anything like that. It just happened to come up. 
Well, that warms my heart because that's how I started. Mm. You know, Richard Hadley's brother, Dale Hadley, was my teacher at school. And I said that to him recently at a concert when he came to see me. I said, you know what, you really, really were a real inspiration for me. You to get out your guitar every morning, take for a ride in my car, car, <laughs> take for a ride in my car, car. And we'd be singing it. And I was in standard four. Mm. That, for me, was hugely influential for me. Mm. And he thanked me, and he had, he had a tear in his eye. And I, if I can do that for these little kiddies, I don't want to do more of it. Mm. And there's a, I want to go to America next year for a week and a half and train to be a vocal yoga teacher. There's a very interesting way of unblocking people's voices and emotionally connecting. Because I love my yoga. I'd like to train to be a yoga teacher as well mm. and do this vocal yoga. So to go into schools, to go into counselling sessions, to go into who knows where the prisons female prisons and work with these women to make them connect with their emotional core through movement and through making sounds mm. because it can be incredibly healing for these people to go ha ah, you know in mm, kiwis mm. we don't make sounds we're such a little yeah. We're very private. We so don't much. like making noise. Whereas you go to India, you go to South America, when someone dies, they're going, ah! They wail, mm. and it's a released, open sound. Mm. And as much as at Toy Fakari, you know, we did all those kind of physical theatre vocals, Roy Hart, uh, Beat Van Dyke. We did all those kind of sounds, and we go, yeah, yeah, it's part of our training. As I'm getting older, I'm realising how important it is to unblock that as human beings. Well, it's there in New Zealand if you go to a tangi, isn't it? You it know, is. It's, it's there, in, yes. it's there in, yes. in, in our people that we it sometimes is. conveniently forget about. I'm well, not saying you did, but, you know, yeah. like, oh, yeah. it is there in, 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 the cult, in yes, one of the cultures right. of New Zealand that's yeah. actually far more important than a lot of people think. Absolutely. You yeah. have the nail on the head, totally. So yes, for us little Pākehās, mm. we've got a lot to keep learning. Yeah. And so I do want to kind of go into, um, there's a wonderful chap here called Jason Tapatu who is has Power Living Yoga Studio and mm. I'm going this month while I'm up here in Wellington and he's actually doing a lot of that. He's going into schools and doing yoga with kids. Mm. And I think if children can have tools in place to help them get through this society, depression, mm. the pressure to be at the top, the pressure that our families put on us, the workforce puts on us. If you can go back to a beautiful, calm place and have some yoga in your life and meditation, then I think you're going to be okay. Mm. And that's what Jace is doing. Mm. And I'm really excited to talk to him more about that. Mm. Now, I know you need to rest your voice for a little bit because you're about, you're about to probably go into a, 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 re a rehearsal <laughs> or a run of sorts. Do you, we've, we've given people a bit of a glimpse of this show. Do you want to do, do the hard sell to finish? Do you want to not give it away, but is there anything that you want to explain about the show other than that? You know, uh, there'll be a. I'll, I'll, I'll include a link to yeah. the the prices and dates and so forth. But you're in Wellington at the moment for a yeah. for a show at Circa that starts this weekend. Yes. July the seventh. Yes, that's yep. it. Saturday night we have our first preview on Friday night, yep. so that's great with an audience. Um, and then we hit the road, um, you know, throughout New Zealand and to New York, as I mentioned. So all of those details are on my yeah. website. Yeah. So, you know, it, which is exciting that people can come because a lot of people come to the show and go, oh, you're going to New Plymouth. Oh, I'll get my auntie Mabel to come. She'll love this. Because mm. what I find, this is about nostalgia. It's about celebrating women that were famous in a time where you were famous for pure talent. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about... How many Twitter followers you had? How many YouTube mm. followers? Um, you know what they wore? Mm. How li how little they wore? Yeah. Did, and what the record companies didn't borrow their records in order for them to get to the top of the, mm. the list? You know, mm. that's all this crap happens now. Mm. Bloody sad. There's five minute wonders out there. Mm. You know, and yeah, and there's a lot of pressure for those performers as well. You look at the demise of some of those mm. people. They get lost because there's such pressure with social media and everything um, but so this is about good old-fashioned talent these mm. women it's also about yeah so nostalgia and craft of seeing one person on that stage mm. <laughs> working their ass off playing what nearly a dozen people yeah, yeah. and it, but just the storytelling mm. and the places that I will take you mm. one minute you were in a New York um, 
laboratory mm. <laughs> because they still have them where mm. there's attendants um, uh, attendees are, are down there would you like a, a spritzer of perfume ma'am <laughs> would you like a hand towel and then they tip you that's how they survive on mm. the tips mm. and um, and then you know the librarian um, the English librarian and then the very ambitious New York reporter to Junior Jones who wants to get off the fashion pages and she's pleading with her boss to take her off the fashion pages and give her something meaty. So she does get something meaty and that's Billie Holiday. And then there's an Irish nanny. You know, and it's funny and it's poignant. So beautifully written. And it's a, a, a drama and a comedy and a concert. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Was it the spell of Paris or the April dawn? Who knows if we shall meet again? But when the morning chimes ring sweet again, This heart of mine embraces all day through in that small cafe, the park along the way, the children's. Cafe.